episode 20 of Epilogues and Epiphanies. Coming up on today's episode. Why does kindness make me so emotional? I'm an Enneagram 3, which is the achiever. Um, I love all the tests. I heard you're not supposed to take a test. And, Correct. And I, Listen, everyone, and heard... don't go take a test. <laughs> you're like, I don't have time to read this whole freaking book. Are you kidding me? What? No. It's so classic. Yeah. Every person who has a heart will cry when they hear that. Right. Seriously, <laughs> though. <laughs> Willy Wonka, I feel like, is textbook uh seven have you seen this show because if you haven't you're on it welcome to epilogues and epiphanies a show where we'll explore questions about life the universe through the lens of tv and film and today's episode is going to be really different normally we kind of have one topic one movie one tv episode and we really kind of dig deep on that today we don't have just one topic we have kind of a different conversation where we're going to be talking about the Enneagram personality typing system and relay that to some familiar film and TV characters for you and just kind of give a better overview for those of you that are curious but maybe weren't sure where to start. Um, I'll also include some additional resources in the show links. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I feel like this tool is really valuable and has meant a lot in my life and I hope it can be for you as well. Thanks again for joining us, everyone. Joining me today, I have my friend James. So James, I'll throw it over to you to introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. I'm James Smith, and Lindsay and I used to work together, and I've known her since she was um, a teenager. I live here in Mount Vernon, Ohio, with my wife, Kelly, and my four kids, and I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, I was trying to think of, so like my normal question is like first friend memory or like first memory. I don't know if I have one because of how long I've known you. Got to know you a little bit better as a as an adult um, when we moved back to Ohio working together. Today we're going to just be talking a little bit about the Enneagram. So normally this is, you know, normally I have a very focused topic. We're talking about one specific movie. And so I normally ask, why is this movie special to you? Or why did you think this movie was special? And so we don't have that, but I am curious for you, what is, if there is one, a specific movie that has impacted you a lot personally, and maybe tell us a little bit about why. You know, for me, I'm going to go a little bit more general at first. I think one reason I do love movies that make me feel something is because I am an Enneagram three. And we'll talk about that in a second. But one aspect of an Enneagram three is they say we often detach from our heart. And so, you know, we don't kind of dwell in in our emotions. And so I love movies that make me feel something strong. And so one movie that did this in a way that a lot of people who are in the church maybe would not appreciate fully, but is a movie called Bad Times at the El Royale. Um, so weird and good. Yes. It just, it's just this incredibly well done movie and you know, it's not for the faint of heart. I'd certainly rate of rated R and there's a lot of difficult things that happen throughout that movie, Mm -hmm. but such Mm -hmm. powerful scenes and such just like vivid emotions. But at the end of the movie, and I'm not really giving away who or what, but there's this culminating message of redemption and forgiveness. Like there's this really powerful moment where this very, very flawed character becomes an agent of grace and just extends peace and absolution to another individual. So it's like really complex because this person's very flawed. He's a mess and he's not someone who you think should be extending the forgiveness of sins to someone else. And that's what I love about it, that 
this character chooses to demonstrate a glimmer of goodness in himself by becoming mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. to me is the voice of Christ to another person, which I believe is mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. as a Christian, it's what we're all called to be in the world is really that voice, mm-hmm. sometimes reprimanding, but probably more frequently forgiving, caring for, helping people mm-hmm. know they are loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, I love that. I I feel like those kind of movies where I think it was a quote from, I think it's actually a quote from Queer Eye, where one of the hosts says, why does kindness make me so emotional? And it's literally when, you know, someone is just being grace and goodness and like kindness to someone else. And those are the movies that like, I'm just sitting there weeping because it's it's just like it it touches that part of you that's like, this is how it should be. You know, this is what should we should be about. And I think that's so true. Yeah. And that movie, that movie, I think works so well that way in the end, because it paints the darkness so well at the beginning. I feel, I think you feel that contrast. So no, I love that. So you already told us what your Enneagram type was. How did you get, I mean, everyone has their own, how they got into the Enneagram you know, story. So how did you finally get into it and start learning more about it? Yeah. So I'm an Enneagram three, which is the achiever. You'll hear more about later. And I had a lot of friends who were into it. Some of our mutual friends, I was very into strengths finder and still am. I love all the tests, all the, all the things that help us understand ourselves more. And so I just kind of pushed it aside and then my wife got into it. And really what happened was Sleeping at Last put out a yeah. an album, the Enneagram album. So good. It's incredible. So good. I think it's one of the best things out there partnered with the podcast. And these podcasts are like mm-hmm. an hour to two hours on each song, mm-hmm. why he created mm-hmm. them. How he, and there's a Enneagram expert on there who comes in and explains the Enneagram mm-hmm. while he's explaining, while, while sleeping right. at last, he's explaining the song. So my wife was listening to those and she's like, I, I think you should look through, look at this. And so I went to a bunch of my friends here into the Enneagram because I'd heard you're not supposed to take a test. And so I decided. Correct. And Correct. I, and Listen, everyone, heard- <laughs> don't go take a test. <laughs> and I also heard you're not supposed to type other people, but- I pushed. True. That's one. That one's hard. It's hard, and I so I pushed boundaries on some Enneagram lovers, and I said, "I want you all to give me an idea of what you think I am, and you know why I did this, Lindsay? Because I'm an Enneagram three, and I want to be efficient. <laughs> I did not want to read. You're through- like, I don't have time to read this whole freaking book. Are you kidding me? What? <laughs> it's no. So classic. I got stuff to do. Yeah, I oh had gosh, stuff to that's do. Hilarious. So I'm like, let's narrow this in, people. And I thought if there's like one or two types that emerged and yeah. I asked about mm-hmm. probably eight people and I think six of them oh, y- yielded. You got a good sample size. Yep. Six of them yielded and ended up giving me one. The other two resisted <laughs> and they came back with four different types. And I was like- Interesting. Yes. Interesting. And I, I really mm-hmm. think that shows the power of why you can't type other people. You really yes. don't know their yeah. core motivation. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> so- I came, people came back with a type two, a type three, a type seven, and a type eight. Those are the ones people came back. And these are Hmm. people who know me. Um, Right. Yeah. And I started looking and thinking, oh yes, this person thinks I'm a type eight because they see me mostly in this type of a situation. Mm-hmm. This person mm-hmm. sees me as a seven because they knew me as a youth pastor. Right. And right. Yeah. This yeah. person and the two, you know, is 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 a wing of mine. And so I think that that 
makes sense why people see that. But my wife told me, she's like, I think you're either a three or a seven. She said, so listen to the three first. And so I did. And of course, when he played the song, I cried like everybody else does. Every person who has a heart right. will cry when they seriously, hear their though, Seriously, song. though, it's <laughs> rough. But no, I think that's interesting, too. And we'll get into this more later. But like the fact that people really said, no, you're definitely this. But you being a three, like, and you being in those different scenarios, you were the best version of what that scenario needed you to be. You know what I mean? Like, and those things mm. called on different parts of you to show up in different ways. And so people knew you in different capacities in ways that they felt like was the only capacity. And I think that makes a lot of sense, but yeah, no, it's, it's tricky. Like I, I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Maybe we have. I, so I got into the Enneagram when I was working at MVNU and had been talking to our mutual friend Katie about it. And she was like, yeah, here's a book. You can borrow it. And I was talking to like her and some other people that, you know, knew their type already and read through all the types, had weeded out like ones I definitely knew I was not, but was like, I don't know. I really don't know. I thought maybe I was a three, but there were things about the three that didn't fit at all. And then Hmm. finally I was like, I think maybe I'm a one, but the reason I didn't think I was a one is because I felt like those people sounded like they had their stuff way more together than I felt like I had. And Katie says, that is the most one thing I've ever heard anyone say Mm. is that they're not (laughs) one enough to be a one. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And so then I like, once I tried that on and I was like, yep, Okay. Yep. Because it was resonating. It was in my top like two or three options I was thinking through. But for those of you that don't know, the one is a perfectionist. So me, the perfectionist is reading about all these perfectionistic tendencies saying, well, I'm not as consistent on these. Like I, you know, thinking of all the things I don't do perfectly every time thinking I can't fit that category, which is just kind of hilarious when you think about it. But it took me a very long time to figure out what I was because none of them felt like they fit because I didn't think I had it together enough to be <laughs> the one, which is just funny. But yeah, so. Well, and all, and also your, even your, your path there that as an Enneagram one, you're like, well, I've got to get this Oh right. yeah. I wasn't going to just so like, gonna I wasn't just going to like, you know, settle on something like, no, I need to know the absolute right answer. But yeah. You, you know, Lindsay, this, this exposes another interesting element of the Enneagram is how there are types that really can easily be confused mm-hmm. with each other. And so I've known people who thought they were a number for a couple mm-hmm. years and then switched mm-hmm. it up. And I will tell you, I had you and Matt come present on the Enneagram oh, for a group of youth leaders. And when I was very confident, I was a three. I've been into the Enneagram for a couple of years at that point. And then you presented on the Enneagram one. And your journey, I, I, and I, it was the only time, first and only time I've been like, oh my goodness, have I been wrong <laughs> about my number? Am I an Enneagram one? Which is very typical yeah, of ones and no, threes. It was very tricky. And so I, it made me dive, it made me dive yeah. back in. No, yeah. I, I really, I mean, cause there was, I think it was the, it was probably the liturgists at the time. I think they had the people who wrote the road back to you on. And they were going through the types and the three, like the way they described the three and the energy of the three just felt very, I mean, and I, I cry when I listen to the three song cause it fits a lot, you know, the, the productivity mm. of 
you know, especially I would imagine a one could probably look different in different cultural contexts, but in a Western context, ones and threes, very productive. Like the rule is you should be in motion, you should be doing things, you should be contributing. And so that is, you know, easily confused for each other. I think where it fit was, I think it was actually Trisha, another one of our mutual friends and coworkers said, yeah, but like the part about trying to like, sometimes play to the room or adapt a little bit. She's like, I feel like you're just what you are wherever you are. And I was like, yeah, that was the part that wasn't fitting with me too. And I was like, okay, so it's not a three, but yeah, it is easy to get it mixed up. And and it's okay, I think too, take your time and not settle on it and try things on and see how it feels. Um, I think the whole point of yeah. this is is knowledge and self-knowledge. And the more we know about ourselves, the more we know about our own like obstacles and ways that we maybe show up in maladaptive ways, the better we have a chance to be better and see them coming and maybe choose a kinder option for ourselves and for other people. And I, that's my whole thing. You know, all, all truth is God's truth. And I think there's a lot of truth that can be found about ourselves in the Enneagram and help us love ourselves and others better and more effectively. And that's that's a big part of why I think this is valuable. And it also informs how we consume media. It informs how we relate to different things. And so that's, I think, been why I wanted to do this episode was a lot of my guests use it as shorthand because we're in the same circles. So there's a lot of people that are familiar with it. And then I have people that listen, they're like, I don't know what the Enneagram is. And so they have to like Google things. So I thought maybe this would be a good, you know, especially with the beginning of the year, I feel like that's when people are trying to say, okay, what are my growth journeys? Like, what do, what do I need to work on? And a lot of people are saying like, I'm going to start counseling or I'm going to like, you know, really dive in and get to know myself better. I want to, I want to, show up better for myself. And I think this is a tool that a lot of people start looking at. And so I thought maybe this would give people a little bit of a handle to see if it's a direction they want to go and, you know, definitely explore also the ways that, you know, we we think about characters and their motivations. So you mentioned kind of the motivation factor. So just quick, brief overview, you know, the Enneagram basically is nine personality types. And, you know, there's one that you basically the the logic is we have, we all have all nine numbers in us to some capacity. We have some extent of that, but there's one that we show up as or identify with most typically. Um, and so um, that's the the type that you are. And so um, the idea is that what I like about this system though, is it's not static. Um, you know, you're, you, sh- you are a three, but you know, in certain situations or scenarios where you're more healthy or more comfortable, you might move towards it. There's, you know, the the number that you move towards in growth and the number that you move towards in stress. And I like that it recognizes that we're flexible, that we're not, you know, just all one thing all the time. And I think the the thing with the Enneagram is it's not saying this is how every single person in this number behaves. It's saying this is a core motivation. These are the nine core motivations. They can show up in a lot of different ways. So like there's the color red, but there's like a million shades of red. So that's why you also don't want to type someone because like you hinted at, you know, the motivation might be different. You know, we talk about like there's, you know, defense mechanisms and there is like a, a symbol too that kind of shows how the numbers are related and there's different paths and different different groupings that kind of have things in common as well, which we'll get into a little bit as well. But definitely it's 
it's a way to help understand yourself better and learn maybe some ways that things might be holding you back and that you can, you know, see what you're good at, but maybe see the ways that you're maybe tripping yourself up and can work on those. It definitely, when we got back into it, Matt discovered it in seminary, but I hadn't really gotten into it until we moved here. And it really helped us realize where sometimes we got frustrated with each other and learned how to like you know, he knew he was able to see what was underneath what was going on with me and like address that rather than like what the surface thing was. And that resonated better with me than like, stop doing that. Like, hey, I think you're stressing out about this because of this. Maybe let's not. And then for me, like, hey, we were having a conversation and you wanted to get out of the hard feelings. And I think we need to stay there for a second because he's a a seven. (laughs) And so, you know, some of those kind of shorthands that felt a little less personal in like a tough way when you're in those kind of conversations, I think was really helpful too. So anything else I didn't kind of cover generally about the Enneagram that you want to add before we get into that first group? No, I like, I don't think we're going to get into a ton of this today, but I, one thing I think that's a misperception about it sometimes is are, are the wings Mm. and then the health and growth. Like I hear people be like, Oh, I'm a three wing seven. And I'm like, well, that that's not right. Right. (laughs) And, And so I think it's good to know as you start diving in, the first thing is to identify what do you think that your primary mm-hmm. number is that really connects to your core mm-hmm. motivation, core fear. Those are like really the key ways you're going to navigate that. But then encouraging people to then look mm-hmm. at the wings, I think is like, it's more of a fun, interesting thing. Mm-hmm. I, I find it to be less precise. Right. Sure. You know, there's so many different opinions on the wings, yeah, sure. but your wing is always attached to your number. Mm-hmm. And I always like just to clarify for that for people. If you're right. a five, your your wing is either a six or a four. Mm-hmm. But your health and growth, there's really no – the, the pattern, <clears throat> there's a chart you can look up right. and see mm-hmm. it. It's mm-hmm. not like it's always attached or detached by one or right. two or something. There's very so, arbitrary arrows yeah. on that little circle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but they seem real. They, they, yeah, no, they definitely, they definitely feel real for sure. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, again, being a one, when people say things like that, I'm like, ah, but you can't though. Like, and I have to decide. All right, do I just let them talk, or is this the moment where we have maybe an education moment and we go into it? But yeah, um, yeah, yep. So for this first group, like I was talking about, there's like a few, yeah, like. There's groupings of three, and there's like the first group is the the head center. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of like going over quickly like what that group looks like together, and then we can get into these a little bit. Yeah. So so the head center it it is what it sounds like. It's real. It's really these are first of all it's three personality types for each of the centers, and so this is the five, six, or the seven. And individuals in the center are really driven by mental activities and concerns. And so you know those types of people who are driven by the the life of the mind. They navigate the world through thinking and planning and anticipating future events. And so there's a lot of variety in those three those three types. But the key thing to know is they all really center their life through the head, essentially through the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first one we're going to talk about is the type five, which is called sometimes the investigator or the observer. And this person loves to gather knowledge. They are really observant and want to understand the world. And that like knowledge kind of helps them feel secure and like 
prepared for different scenarios. When we talk about these things, we're also going to talk about something called childhood wound, which can be tricky for people because, you know, sometimes people hear the word childhood wound and they think that means, well, but I had good parents. Everyone has Mm -hmm. childhood wounds, even if you had the best parents in the world, because we live in a fallen, broken world. And, you know, there just have to be there. All it takes is literally your little kid brain one moment of misunderstanding and misinterpreting something as something else and like learning some some maladaptive rules based on that. And that's really all it takes is, you know, we're all doing the best we can with what we've got. But, you know, most of us don't have some of us have more tools in our toolkit. Some of our families had more tools in the toolkit when they were raising us. And we hope that every generation there's more tools added to the toolkit. But a lot of times we're just working with what we've got. And that's kind of where some of those injuries come up. So it's not to say that, you know, childhood wounds mean someone's parents did a bad job. It just means this is right. the way a kid brain interpreted what was going on in that house. And kid brains get things wrong. And so that's why we try to unpack them and grow once we're adults and we realize, oh, yeah, I I think I learned something silly when I was a kid and it's kind of affecting me now. I'm one of those people who did not relate to my childhood wound at all for my number. And my wife and I were talking one day. I'd be one of those people who'd say, "My, I have, an am- I have amazing parents, you know, some of the best. And uh, Kelly and I were talking, my wife, and she said, she's like, oh, I know what your childhood wound is. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, I have no clue. And she's and she reminded me of this very affirming thing my mother said to me when I was a kid that is a story that's been retold. And we, we realized, oh my goodness, that probably is the childhood wound. And it was like actually a really nice thing my mom said. Right, right. You know, like, but you took um, it to mean something but- like you had to follow through on kind of a thing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's so interesting. So for this type five, you know, there was for a lot of these kids, there was not a lot of, or maybe perceived based on what they felt like they needed. There wasn't as much meaningful interaction or emotion or affection from their parents maybe. And and that couldn't, that doesn't mean that they didn't get any. It just means Maybe based on what they felt like they needed, they didn't feel like that need was being met or they had, you know, parents that were maybe a little controlling and kind of all up in their business. And so these kids felt kind of like they had no say in like, you know, it's your parent, like if they want to be all up in your business, you can. And they felt like they had no privacy. So these type fives tend to be very private, very compartmentalized, like, you know, very logical. That's because they keep their emotions in a box over here and they keep their thoughts over here. And so they don't always open the emotions box very often because you talked about the very head center. And so it's, yeah, and it's definitely the the privacy thing is really, I feel like interesting. They're very like slow to disclose you know, it they they can take a little while to get to know, but they're really knowledgeable. Like so, to get into their strengths a little bit, they're really really knowledgeable, and especially about whatever their particular interest is, they are going to probably know the most and all of the detail. They're very self sufficient and independent, so they're probably not going to ask for help unless it's like catastrophic, and then they have no choice. And they tend to be resourceful because they have a lot of resources. They've done the research. They know all the the tools that they have at their disposal. And back to that discrete point, you know, they, 
if you tell them something and you tell them not to tell anyone, they're like, well, why would I have talked to anyone about that? And, you know, like they're just very discreet. And then when they do tend to, you know, maybe learn that they don't have to keep everything so private and so independent, they can grow into a little bit more assertive personality types, they move towards the number eight in growth and they can kind of integrate some of that knowledge to be really impactful leaders. And then, you know, sometimes when they're maybe not as healthy, that privacy obviously can kind of turn in on itself pretty quickly if you don't want to ask for help. And that can kind of lead to feeling like, well, I'm in it all on my own. Like, you know, they maybe will depend more on knowledge than people. And I do find that like I have a few fives in my life. They're they're pretty they're the ones I go to when I want a logical like answer to something. I'm like, don't sugarcoat it. Don't make me feel good. Tell me the truth about this. Like what is your objective opinion? They will give you an objective opinion. So you have to be ready for that because they won't always like tell you what you want to hear. But they are very good at this the objectivity, but sometimes they can move into like kind of the uh scattered, impulsive, like distraction to avoid things when emotions feel like they're running high and they don't want to feel them. And one of those characters, which I thought was kind of interesting, there are a couple of them, like Walter White from Breaking Bad and Adrian Monk from the show Monk, which like I was kind of going to get into Walter White, but I feel like maybe an easier handle would be Adrian because he just tends to, you know, he's very much like always picking up on all the little things. So then it's so easy for him, like by the time they've walked around to all the different places where the pieces of the crime might be, he has all those resources and like the knowledge of prior cases and everything that he just kind of really logically integrates. And it seems really obvious to him by the end of the 45 minute episode who did it. And so that's that's him using that like detail, logical side. He doesn't like worry about, oh, but that person seemed really nice. He's like, no, I was worried about you know, the placement of the thing or what have you. So that's real quick, the fives. Anything you want to add to the five conversation there? My my dad's a five and okay. it was one of those big aha moments where I brought this, I brought this book, you know, the mm-hmm. Back to You book home and we sat down and I read through the 20 things in the back and every single, like 16 or 17 of the 20. Oh gosh. Little, you yeah, know, descriptors of the five. He's like, yes, yes. Like he was laughing at the end. Yeah, and I learned so much about my dad just by reading that list. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing about the five. I I don't know if it's true for all fives, but what I found is you don't really always know a five. You no. don't know what's going inside on inside because it's in their mind. Right. Um. They're living. They are really hunkered down inside their mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. and so. Um, there were there were like four or five of the things on that list that I found shocking that those right. were true about my dad. Like because you, you know, just wouldn't one, know. One you just says, wouldn't know. I would didn't know. There's one that said like my inner voice is very sarcastic, you know. And I was like, is that's not you? Is it? He's like, and he just started laughing. And that's I was like, so oh my goodness, like. So it was this was a great tool for me to get yeah. to know my dad more, mm-hmm. and I have a you know we have a good relationship, right? Because fives might not always be forthright with just like, mm-hmm. hey, here's everything about me. They're probably less of that. So yeah, they're definitely not going to volunteer it if they feel safe with you. Like if you ask a direct question, they might tell you, but you are going to have to ask that question. Probably they're not going to like volunteer that information. I also do feel like they tend to, you know, that just detachment from their emotions. It's less intuitive for them to kind of, because they don't engage in it as much, 
to understand and know what's going on. Like it's just not like naturally intuitive to them because they don't like live in that space or that yeah. world. They they kind of put that in the other box and then so it doesn't you know, things that the rest of us would be like, well, yeah, of course you got a migraine because of this thing happening at work and that stress you out. Like, but to them that feels revelatory sometimes. And it's just kind of funny when, when the logical people are trying to learn the language of emotions, it gets really interesting. The next one is the loyalist or the skeptic. I like the loyalist better. The skeptic feels a little negative, but basically the type six, they you know, their key motivation is to get to be secure, to feel safe and support and get that support by like anticipating problems and being prepared for everything. So they can feel a little 5 and like that 6-5 wing, you know, tends to be strong because there's a lot of information gathering and being prepared for anything. And so a lot of these kids were, you know, raised in maybe things that felt unpredictable. That doesn't mean that it was necessarily abusive or anything. It just could mean things weren't as steady feeling to them and they didn't necessarily feel like they were going to be protected or that anyone was going to like help them find that stability. And so they, you know, started to kind of, they also have trouble like trusting themselves a little bit in their own voice. So they don't feel as protected and they also kind of don't trust their own instincts, which I feel like is sometimes sixes and ones can get confused because we're both rule followers. But I feel like the difference, there was someone that I worked with that I think that said they were a one, again, you're not supposed to type people, but I think they were a six. And the difference being, <laughs> because I know, but here's, here's why I think that to be true. If you put me in a scenario and you said like, solve this problem, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Just, you need to do it. I'll say, okay, Here's I'll use what I've got and I will come up with the answer that I think is the most right and let's go. And I can do that pretty quickly, um, pretty instinctively. And the sixes uh, that I have known tend to stew a lot, think a lot. They want more information. They'd really rather you tell them which one you want them to do. Like they'd, you know, they really don't like having to be the one making the executive decision because they have less certainty in their own decision making a lot of times. Now, obviously with growth, you can work on that and be better at that. But I do feel like, you know, sometimes that tends to be the difference when those two get confused. I feel like sixes do tend to be less decisive in the moment. They are really dependable and trustworthy though. I have a really good friend that's a six and, you know, they're also analytical and problem solving and they're very, very loyal. They're really warm. They're very resourceful because they want to be prepared for everything. And so as they, you know, sometimes the type six can be encapsulated as like kind of nervous because of that wanting to feel prepared, but never fully feeling prepared. But in their health, they can go to nine, which kind of just lets them relax into some peace and just like say, hey, I'm never going to be ready for absolutely everything, but it's going to be okay. So, you know, and like I talked about a little bit of their their journey or struggle can be a little bit of that overthinking, a little bit of codependency because they don't trust their voice. They might latch on to someone who does seem to have, you know, a strong voice and will make those decisions. But they can also be suspicious of people because, you know, they felt like if they don't have all the information, they don't know what they can really trust. 
But yeah, I think sixes are kind of tricky example. I did pick Bilbo. The Bilbo one, I think, speaks to the loyalty side of things and his like their ability to like weigh what's important in the moment, you know, as they're choosing growth. So Bilbo's staying loyal to his friends and like the mission when he's like encountering Gollum and, you know, using his like knowledge to be witty and outsmart this creature that he encounters but it does kind of also go to his like little bit of back and forth of like should i run away or am i going to stay and hear this guy out like he kind of can't quite decide what he wants to do and that makes that moment a little bit tense for us watching because we're like what do you want man what are you what are you trying to do but he (laughs) he definitely like you know he ultimately keeps you know the mission in mind and you know stays loyal to the to the goal there but yeah sixes are i feel like i don't know a lot of them though well i yeah i find that i generally mistype them if i'm doing if i'm committing that you know enneagram sin of mistyping right right i tend i tend to think there's something different i find that sixes are hard for me to pick out but when a friend tells me they're a six like i have a really good friend who i would definitely have thought was a one or a three actually she was able to explain to me you know, when she told me she was a six, I'm like, what? And I went and dug into it and realized, okay, I think it's hard. The six is one of the hardest to know until you know someone's motivations. And I think mm-hmm. they have to reveal that to you almost yeah, for yeah. the six more than a lot of the other ones. They mm-hmm. Because again, they're in their head. So mm-hmm. it's less obvious. Right. They're, they're not, not going to tell you about all of that back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah they're for not sure. wearing it. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is, it is like, you wouldn't know. What's really funny to me is I feel like the six and the seven feel very opposite, but they're right next to each other. Like, and, you know, not necessarily directly opposite, but like the way they show up can feel a little opposite. Yeah, yep. And so the seven is, you know, the enthusiast or the optimist, and they, you know, really want to avoid pain or discomfort and you know they're always seeking out what's fun and maybe what feels good and like new possibilities they're very they tend to be very like i feel like charismatic or like kind of charming personality types when i think about my friends that are sevens they're they're like what's the what's the strengths finder thing you said the other day they're kind of wooey A little bit. They have a little bit of woo most of the time. But Seven's wound when they were kids was basically that they were deprived of some level of nurturing or it was like taken away too soon. So maybe they were, you know, just kind of thrown into a situation where they were a little more on their own earlier than they were thinking they were ready for. And so basically they didn't know what to do with that. And so they're like, just distract me. Distract me from this like fear of pain or abandonment or whatever it might be. And so they really focus on the positive because they kind of had the rug, they feel like they had the rug pulled out from under them and they just can't think about that. So, but they're really optimistic and really flexible people. They're very curious and like have really good, like innovative, interesting ideas because they're always thinking about what's possible, not about the roadblocks. And they tend to be really social and energetic tend to be down for whatever, like, hey, you want to jump in the car and go take a road trip today that we never talked about? Let's go. And they, they when they're healthy, they can kind of grow into that f- high side of five a little bit where like they'll use some of that energy to kind of like really dig in and sink their teeth into something a little more 
um, meaningful and, you know, kind of integrate that. Yeah. You know, as someone who works, has worked with a lot of sevens, it's interesting because I both need them and can be completely infuriated by them. Jeremy, yes. like in the yes. workplace. And, yep, totally. And so it, it is, it's, uh, it's just, I feel like a perfect picture of really how it is with a lot of the numbers. Like yeah. you need this person in your life right. and they'll also drive you crazy. Yes, times, absolutely. You know? Yeah. No. So being a one, being married to a seven, very interesting because when sevens are stressed out, like they can go to the negative side of a one, which is really, really critical, which doesn't happen often, but there have been a few times, but it's just like that meeting of the types of like, you found the thing that would poke my bubble specifically, and that's all it took for me. And so like, and then he's really good though about like, you know, helping me pull out of my self-criticism on like regular days and regular situations. And also it's kind of interesting how these numbers are related in that like, ones when they're healthy go to like, you know, the positive traits of a seven. So it's kind of interesting how those like numbers toggle back and forth a little bit. Um, Willy Wonka, I feel like is textbook uh, seven a little bit. Um, But I also really like the less known character from Brooklyn Nine-Nine of Jake Peralta. (laughs) Because several of our friends, when we were all like, when that show became popular, were like, have you seen this show? Because if you haven't, you're on it, the two of you. So (laughs) like the Amy Santiago and Jake Peralta relationship is like comedically spot on for Matt and I, just in terms of like the balance of it all. And I like it because it shows the complexity of both of them, which is not always something that happens. A lot of times you can kind of flatline the type A girl to be like not fun or like not you know someone you want to be around or whatever and the guy can be like kind of too silly that he's not like capable and i feel like those characters are well-rounded in that you know jake is really good at his job and he's really smart and like so that's part of what he brings to the table he just also does it in a really fun way and their balance that they get together i feel like is really, really kind of cool to see, you know, he's willing to kind of grow up a little bit in the ways that he needs to, but also be true to himself and keep her grounded and out of her head a little bit. And so he's probably my favorite, my favorite seven on, on as a fake character, but that takes yeah, care of the, the is- head center, but they're, they're a fun bunch, but That's like great. definitely like different motivation feels than the group that I'm in, but we're going to be talking about the heart center next, which is your group. So thanks again for joining us today, guys. Um, I know this was super different, but I hope you enjoyed it and learned something and maybe, you know, feel like you have some information to start with if you were interested in the Enneagram and maybe some direction. And I hope you'll stick around for part two, where we go into more of the other personality types. We really only got into three today. Um, Part two coming soon, where we get into heart types and the gut types or the instinct types, um, which is a really fun conversation. So don't uh, skip the second part because it's got some good stuff for sure. Um, If you're an Elsa fan, if you are a Harry Potter fan, um, you'll definitely want to stick around for part two. All right. Well, I hope to see you next time. Until then, have a good one.